Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. The NWSL secured a historic and much-needed victory last week when the league and its Players Association agreed to its first-ever collective bargaining agreement. On today's episode of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show... We are going to talk to NWSL Players Association Executive Director Megan Burke about everything that went into this deal. Welcome into the show and welcome back. We're back for season three. My name is Seth Rotelny. Joining me today, as always, is Goals Women's Football Correspondent Amy Ruskai. We are back and the NWSL is back, thankfully, with a new CBA. With some good news, some good news, some long overdue um, good news. It's a good way to kick off the new season, this, I think. Yeah, after a number of months of bad news, this was a huge piece of good news. And it was signed the day before preseason was set to get underway. And the NWSL Players Association had indicated that the players were not going to report for preseason unless there was a CBA in place. And so... After so many months of scandal, I think the last thing that the league and its players and anybody with any stake in this league would have wanted was a work stoppage to start the new season. So thankfully, this deal got done at the 11th hour, and there's some some really interesting components that we're going to get into with Megan. Yeah, it really didn't look like it was um, it was going to happen at one point as well, did it? It looked like um, there was going to be a, another stoppage, but yeah, thankfully it's... It's over the line and, you know, we can start to look forward to the new season as well now. Yeah, definitely. I want to go through just a couple brief components of this deal that I think are worth mentioning before we bring Megan in. I think the the, the big headline is an increase in the minimum salary from 22000 to 35000 You know, we've talked on this show about the, the No Side Hustles campaign and a player who was making $22,000 a year would almost certainly have to have a side hustle. And now 35000 It's it's not exactly a comfortable living, but 
for the players at the bottom of the roster, you know, that's a significant increase. And it's been pointed out actually a few times that that salary is actually higher than the maximum salary in the NWSL in its first season in 2013. So that's a that's a big step forward. Uh, the league also secured free agency um, starting in 2023. If you've had six service years in the league, uh, a player will be eligible for free agency. And then in 2024, that number of years you have to be in the league to be a free agent goes down to five. And then in 2024, also, there will be restricted free agency for anyone who's been in the league for three years. So these things that all these players would have wanted regardless also can be viewed as a response to some of the scandals from from last year. Uh, When you look at a little bit more financial stability, a little bit more freedom of movement. You know, we'll talk to Megan about this as well. But there's there's a direct correlation there between what the players were asking for and some of the things that they didn't have that that made some of these alleged situations of abuse even worse. Yeah, I think these kind of things really came under the microscope when you know those the scandals were, were coming out. And so, no, it's it's. I mean, we we talked about this when when the news was coming out about um, accusations and allegations. We talked about sort of freedom of movement a lot, and no, I think that's one of the the things that is really nice to see in this in this CBA and it'll be interesting to see how it actually plays out in a footballing sense as well like how that kind of transpires when players are free agents and how just how different it's going to be in the NWSL. All right without further ado let's bring in Megan now to talk about everything that went into the making of this deal everything that's in the deal maybe even a few things that aren't in the deal that she would have liked to see in there so let's bring her in now. Joining us on all of us today is NWSL Players Association Executive Director, Megan Burke. Megan, welcome to the show and and congratulations on uh, getting this CBA over the line. Thank you, Seth and Amy. Thanks for having me on. It's a great week uh, and nice to get to talk with you all about it. Yeah. Tell us about this process. You know, these negotiations have been going on for quite some time. Um, they kind of started to pick up a little bit of steam recently, especially as the uh, looming threat of a potential player's work stoppage was was getting closer and closer. Um, you got the deal over the line the day before preseason started, so ideal timing. Um, when you look back on this whole process, um, how would you describe it as a whole? Um, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I've had enough <laughs> distance from it to to do that in a snappy, succinct way, but, um, you know, I'll just say, you don't have to be super succinct. Oh, well, good. Okay. I can go on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the players association formed in 2017 and the the central purpose of a labor union is to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement. Um, and this labor union was organized by and for players. You know, sometimes you see like the teamsters or, you know, a big national union come in and organize a bargaining unit. And here in this instance, it was players themselves organizing themselves into a union. Um, And so we were really thoughtful about our approach to a CBA. In fact, as we were finalizing the CBA, I was looking for some documents like on our drive and I found player surveys from like 2019. Um, So we've been thinking about this from, and even earlier than that, for for a while. Uh, We gave the league notice of our intent to collectively bargain in November of 2020. Uh, We met in person for the first time in March, 2021. So if we're only talking about being at the 
proverbial bargaining table and none of the other work that surrounds it, which is probably three times as much time involved. Um, you know, we've been at it for a year. Uh, we had easily more than 40 sessions that last week there, we were like every day, you know, at the bargaining table. Um, so it picked up at a more rapid clip at the end and we probably spent more than 400 hours in negotiations, um, getting this contract done and, and really nothing sharpens the mind like a deadline. And so I think that's, you know, how it all comes together when it did. But it's something that I think everyone in NWSL on the league side, the club side, and the players should um, be proud of. It took a lot of collective work and effort. It's literally called a collective bargaining agreement. And I think it really sets NWSL on a positive trajectory for the future. Yeah. What were some of the biggest sticking points to, to getting this deal done from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, the typical issues you would expect in any contract negotiation were certainly issues that we needed to hash out here. Um, compensation, of course, uh, pre-agency the length of the contract, um, who owns the group licensing rights, group NIL, I, I should say group name, image, and likeness rights of players. Um, and, you know, we were, we ha thankfully, you know, at this stage uh, in the growth of professional sports, we can look to international soccer, we can look to baseball and football and basketball here in the U.S. Um, to see what's been done before. But then we're also, you know, we have these American ideas around pro sports, but we're a global sport. So then trying to figure out what our identities, identity is going to be in that way. And you've got MLS to look from. But, you know, when you look at soccer in the United States on the women's side, we set the global standard. You know, we don't necessarily follow them and uh, we lead. And so what does that mean for NWSL? I think those are kind of existential questions you have to answer. And I think we answered them to a T in this first contract. I can't wait for the contract to be publicly available because then people will see when I talk about this, like the particulars of what all the work that went into it on all sides and how that translates into the terms that govern a CBA. Yeah. And the participation and engagement of the league's owners throughout this process has come into question from time to time. You know, there were some reports suggesting that they, they weren't always present, they weren't always engaged, or when they were there, it was only a few owners. Um, how would you describe the owner's engagement uh, throughout this process? And, and did it change? Do you feel like it got a little bit better towards the end as you got closer to, to getting a deal done? Well, I'll say this. Since the CBA was ratified, I've been in touch with, I think, all the clubs. i got to go through and make sure I didn't miss anyone, but I've been in touch with the clubs. And to a person, they're celebrating this as a major victory for the league, for all of us. Um, they're enthusiastic and very optimistic about what this is going to do. It provides clarity, right? I mean, we all now know what the rules are, and they're in writing, and we all agreed on them. And we worked really hard to agree on them, which is not always easy, but it's, it's, it's something, I think, really powerful for people with different priorities and vantage points to come to an agreement on something. Um, and so that's something I think all of us in NWSL, the league office, the board of governors, the players... Um, that's, that's so profoundly positive, um, and required a lot of effort from each person, how we got to this place. We, you know, yeah. Could we go back and relitigate all those issues? Sure. But I don't think that's necessarily the space players are in or that I'm in today. Um, I think we learned a lot. This was a first contract negotiation. There will be many more. There will never again be a first. Um, and it's pretty extraordinary to, to see what we accomplished in this first contract. And I suspect that when the time comes around, there's a five-year contract, you know, in 2026 when we're doing this again, I would like to think that all of us will look back and say, you know, we learned some things about, um, you know, different and better ways of doing this. And I suspect that'll be true as much for, for us as it is for the Board of Governors uh, and the League Office. And so, you know, those are questions that I think we'll probably revisit it then. But for now, 
I think we see that, um, you know, we got to the place we needed to get to. And I wanted to ask about it being the first, uh, the first CBA. Uh, was, was that a particular challenge? Because oftentimes in professional sports, when you're negotiating a CBA, you have the previous CBA to kind of use as a template. Uh, but there obviously wasn't one in this situation. So how did that affect the, the, the process? I mean, in every way you can imagine. I remember my predecessor, executive director, Brooke Albee, was the one to take the pen first on what a CBA proposal would look like. And, you know, Brooke is now an MBA student, but she's not a lawyer. And she had all these other CBAs to look at. She literally started, you can imagine it, with like a blank Word document and your cursor just blinking. And you're like, okay, where do we start? (laughs) And that's where you're starting from. Unlike future negotiations or renegotiations of contracts, you kind of know like, well, you know, we want to go back and revisit this issue or we think this needs a change or we're hoping for an increase here. You don't rewrite the whole thing. You you pick the issues and and you're able to move a lot quicker. Um, In this first contract, we literally started from scratch and we had nothing, you know, no baseline in terms of a contract. What we did know is that owners, the league rather, NWSL had written everything. And so, you know, we're trying to, find a totally different paradigm by taking what one side had kind of established for almost a decade. And we're coming in and say, we, we want you to do something different. And I think for NWSL and the board of governors, that's probably a very difficult um, pivot, very difficult mindset to shift. And so I do want to say to their infinite credit, when you look at where we landed in the CBA, they were willing to evolve. They were willing to move on some things um, that had been in place for a decade in order to come to an agreement with the players on what I really truly believe is the best contract we could hope for for NWCL's future. And, you know, we've we've alluded to it a few times already, but this wasn't like a quick process that started a week ago. This has been rumbling on for some time. Um, when in this whole process, I know that you still kind of reflected on, did you feel that you really had that breakthrough where a deal was really going to get done at that point? There were definitely moments where I was like, okay, like we've broken through this tough issue and now we're going to, you know, whip through. And and the one thing I've learned about collective bargaining is that it is a complete roller coaster. Um, You know, there's no point at which uh, you think you got it in the bag and then it, and then it is in the bag (laughs) up until the very last moment. Um, You know, and even when the players ratify it, we were aware that, you know, the, board of governors still had to make sure they were on board of it. We didn't doubt that that was going to happen, but um, you know, there's no point where it's clear until it's done. And there's a saying in collective bargaining that nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to. And that is a, that is a fundamental principle of collective bargaining um, that we kept reminding ourselves of. It's something we talked about with the league in the very, very first session. If you were to ask their lawyers, they'd say, yeah, we talked about how nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to. So yeah, there's breakthrough moments like on compensation or, you know, some of the the last remaining issues around free agency, duration, group licensing, where you think, okay, we got through that. But by the end of the process, we had, we knew well enough from a year of experience and negotiations that um, it was not across the finish line until it was actually across the finish line. And that issues can always creep up um, that kind of bite you in the heel and you realize you need to get back to it. And, and so my focus, our focus is players, our bargaining committee's focus, our lawyer's focus was get it done. It's not done until it's done. Let's get it done. Yeah, and speaking of getting it done, you know, you got it done just a day before preseason started, um, as as I mentioned earlier, and uh, it wasn't too far away from a, a situation where players were going to 
stop working. There was going to be a lockout or a work stoppage or however you want to describe it, you know, and, and, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, of turmoil with the league over the last several months. You know, it's been difficult for players, for fans, for everybody involved in the league. So, you know, how much was that in the back of your mind to really try to avoid another kind of damaging situation um, with the work stoppage? I know, you know, in your eyes, if it happened, it, it wouldn't necessarily be a decision that you made unilaterally, but how, how important was it to, to try to make sure that there wasn't a work stoppage that happened in this situation? Look at the goal. And we, as players um, repeated this, uh, you know, if there was the other mantra besides nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to is that the goal is a contract, a fair contract. The goal is a contract. The goal is not a work stoppage. The goal is not a strike. That is just a means to an end and not something that anyone really wants. Um, Players love the play. They, I couldn't. I can't tell you how excited they were to get to day one of preseason. I mean, you know, but what they wanted was the safety and security and protection of a collectively bargained contract to protect them from day one. And we were clear about that from the very beginning of this negotiation. Um, as the as it became clear that the contract would not get finished by the end of the year, which is what we had hoped for and a goal that we had established with the league that we'd like to see this done by the end of the calendar year. Um, and that has a lot to do with when players standard player agreements end and you see player movements and renegotiations for the subsequent year. Um, as it got into January, you know, we were very clear, this needs to be finished before the start of preseason. We want a new fresh NWSL and the way to not relive the 2021 season and to rebuild our league and into what we know it can be is start from day one with a CBA. Um, and so we were relentless, especially in the last week when it, you know, we'd gotten through what I would call the core issues. We'd gotten through them, but there were still things like definitions or the form of a standard player agreement or the language that, um, needed to reflect what we thought had been agreed to in group licensing. You know, those are things that still matter because it's what stands between you and contract or not. So, you know, we worked, um, I don't think it's hyperbole to say, I know we worked every day. I want to say we worked like 16, 20 hour days, um, every day to try to get it done. And we were willing to do that, you know, all through the night if we had to, um, to make sure that players could report to preseason with a contract. For you, when you look over this CBA, what are the most important sort of wins in that deal for, for the players? You know, when you're starting from the position we were in, I'd have to say virtually everything is a win. The fact that we have a first contract is a win. Um, but that being said, when you look at other first contracts, um, you have to say that establishing a free agency framework is a massive win for players in a first contract. Um, I don't think I really had, it hadn't hit for me until I was reading some news coverage recently. It took MLS 20 years to get to that place. Now that's a reflection of NWSL being willing to come into the 21st century quicker and, you know, to grow this league for the future. But um you know, I'd say the free agency framework is a big win. Uh, the substantial increase in total compensation. Um, obviously, base salaries are increasing substantially. Minimum salary this year of $35,000 with a recognition for players who are above the minimum, making sure they get stepladder increases from last year. You also, uh, we have housing. You know, we have more consistent application of the housing stipend, uh, transportation, 401ks. We're establishing a 401k for the first time with an employer matching contribution beginning next year. Um, you know, and I'm robust health insurance, workers' compensation coverage, the right to a second opinion if you get injured, surgeon of your choice. Um, so I would put those probably somewhere between compensation and just health and safety and maximizing performance. 
up to six months paid mental health leave is unprecedented in pro sports. As far as I can tell, um, we've got, you know, eight weeks paid parental leave, whether you birth or adopt a child, that's new and awesome. Uh, we've got paid pregnancy disability. Um, you know, a lot of robust protections there. Um, players who are waived, uh, which, you know, I will say like one of the decisions we had to make at some point is like, okay, if NWSL is evolving, it's not ready to just rip everything up and start fresh and do what the rest of the world does overnight. There's sort of some incremental change that has to happen. And so, you know, when we started looking at a hybrid system of free agency, not unrestricted full on free agency from the drop, um, you know, you, you, then you got to navigate drafts and discovery and we were able to get some protections in there. Um, players who are waived, which, um, you know, is, is, has been a problem that, you know, someone can be fired on 24 hours notice and that's it. They lose their health insurance. They lose their job. They lose their housing. Now they have four weeks severance pay four week and a month continued health insurance. They can stay in housing for another 30 days. I mean, I, I could go on because there's just, you know, these are big, big, big wins that we've never seen in the history of our sport. Um, and those are things that players fought for. I, I'd be remiss not to point out one of the biggest wins that was one of the hardest fought that I feel like we got to exactly the place we need to get to, which is that professional soccer will be played on soccer fields. We will no longer be playing on converted baseball fields. You know, that's something that um, players felt very, very strongly about. And to the infinite credit of both Kansas City and OL Reign, you know, they quickly now, I would say all things considered, relatively quickly have solved that issue. Uh, Kansas City's building their own stadium, which is remarkable. Uh, and then O.L. Reign's going to be playing at Lumens Field, which is just a tremendous uh, environment for the caliber of players that are on their roster. So, I mean, we it's I don't think it's hyperbole at all. I, I'm careful. I, I try to be careful not to overstate or overgeneralize. But, I mean, every article of the CBA has something that is transforming our sport. And it's going to be, I think, a league that players love to play in and fans love to watch. Yeah, you just ticked off a, a number of, of wins in this deal uh, for the players. But of course, this was a negotiation between two sides and, and both sides have to compromise in order to, to get a deal done. So I'm sure there were some things that maybe you wanted to include in this deal that you were unable to. Um, are you able to talk about maybe one or two of those things that you would have liked to have in the deal, but ultimately did not end up being in the CBA? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's some things we identify as being, we'll be interested to see how we live into it. You know, what does the contract look like over the next five years and what are the areas where players are going to want to evolve with it? But I'll say this, you know, we all need each other in this sport, in this league. Players have a list of priorities, but we need this league to be sustainable for the long term. And we need, you know, owners willing to invest in growing the business and being aggressive uh, on that front. We need sponsors who want to get in with us and we need fans to come to the games, right? And buy the swag and support the players. We all need each other in this ecosystem. And so I, I really believe that this negotiated outcome is what's best for the league as a whole. Um, so yeah, in five years, are we going to prioritize issues for players from their vantage point? Absolutely. Um, a few things that we compromised on because, you know, I think players felt like they were able to get their core needs and priorities met and, you know, it's part of a compromise, making sure the other side's core needs and priorities are being met. Um, you know, NWCL retained the right to unilaterally set a salary cap. Um, the PA will be entitled to notice over what that will be. Um, you know, so that's like something that needs to be decided quickly for this season. Um, you know, they retained management prerogative to set an age restriction, which frankly, I think a lot of players see Olivia Moultrie and say, you know, 
if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, so, you know, I think we'll probably see some developments over the next few years on that front, um, an opportunity for maybe a homegrown player rule or some kind of academy system. I think that's really positive. And, you know, I, I do think NWSL needed the flexibility to figure out what is the system that fits for, for what we have, because we're not MLS or USL or English Premier League or La Liga or something different. And so what is the right fit for us? Um, you know, I, and, and I will say, like, for example, the, f the fact that it's a five-year deal. We wanted a shorter deal. They wanted a longer deal. And five was exactly the midpoint, the right compromise to be struck. On the one hand, um, players did not want to be tethered to a long-term contract because look what's happened over the next several years, right? We've got, you know, the Winter Olympics happening now, but you got the uh, World Cup, Men's World Cup, the Women's World Cup. You have the, another Olympic cycle. The U.S. is co-hosting the Men's World Cup in 26, and then right on the heels of that, we've got a Women's World Cup, uh, plus the launch of a Division II Pro League in the United States. So it made no sense to do a long-term contract. But from the league's perspective, they want some, you know, they're going to substantially increase their investment in these athletes and in this league. And so they want to know that there's going to be a certain period of, you know, some certainty for a period of time while the league um, sees exponential growth and hopefully expansion teams are coming online. Um, and so I think we really did reach the right outcome uh, for the future of our league. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. This was obviously being negotiated off the back of last year, last season, which was, you know, obviously um, a really difficult year for all the players in the league and just a a, a year of just bad news, bad news, bad news. Um, I wonder how much... In the CBA, how many provisions in there were kind of a direct response to what happened last year and the scandals that emerged and how last year affected the discussions that you had for the CBA? I think the honest answer is that you can't untangle those things. Um, you know, they were absolutely happening at the same time and on the minds of everyone involved. Um, you know, and there we actually had CBA no negotiations scheduled for the very day that Meg Linehan's article came out. Um on September 30th and October 1st. And we saw, you know, a, a change in leadership as a result, um, and which resulted in a change of, in who was at the bargaining table. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, I think what it did, what we learned about last season is not new. Um, it's something that players have lived with for a long time. And, you know, in our minds, certainly 
A lot of our positions were informed by our lived experiences. Now, obviously, there were some new things that came to light that um, revealed how deep and wide this goes. Um, but what I would say is I think it helped illustrate in a very human, real way why free agency was so important, why higher wages were so important, why players having more autonomy and control over their careers was so important. Um, having a stable, secure environment was so important. Increasing uh, or rather improving uh, minimum staffing standards. Um, you know, there's going to be a sports psychologist on every team. The league is going to have a doctor as the league's medical director. Every team is going to have a mental health professional uh, available. The six months paid mental health leave, up to six months paid mental health leave. I don't think that there's no better way to articulate why that's so important than to understand what happened last season and why a player might need up to six months paid leave. Um, which, by the way, no one wants to take. <laughs> it is a medically recommended therapeutic response to a very real diagnosable issue. And, and so I felt like it helped um, help the league and clubs understand the need to put players at the center of the league's future. Uh, as painful as it was, you know, I think it was, um, you know, Sinead who said this, which is that she wanted her pain to have a purpose. And I, you know, I, I don't want to diminish in any way all the ways in which, um, Mana, Sinead, Kaya, Kristen Press, and others have transformed our sport because it's it's far exceeds and is well beyond a CBA or a contract. But they absolutely um, did, you know, give purpose to what we were doing. Um, we still, I will say, we have a joint investigation pending. That is now, you know, we're sort of checking the box of the CBA and now we're focused on the investigation. I've already, you know, gotten to work on that since the, C the CBA was um, ratified. Um, we're seeing, you know, the anti-harassment policy obviously was a major factor in the departure of several coaches last season. And that's something that needs to continue to be refined. You know, you don't just write one policy and be done with it. You need to live into it. It needs to become a, a cultural norm, not just words on paper. And so that's something we're already looking at and talking about with the league at their initiative. Um, and so I do think that the CBA was a critical piece of that response, but not the only one. The work really does continue. Yeah, and you've touched on a number of, of different provisions in in this CBA. Uh, usually when I've seen the the deal written about, the, the headline provisions are kind of the minimum salary and the free agency, which are obviously big pieces. Is there is there any one particular thing that you feel like maybe deserves to be talked about more uh, when it comes to what's in this uh, in this agreement? You know, what's funny is I was like, gosh, I can't wait till we have our table of contents. So when I get a question like that, I can like pick like, oh, this one, um, because there's so much in it. And we've just been living it so intimately that I feel like I'm still deep in the weeds. I mean, yeah, you know, we really it's hard to say, you know, the, the headline items are obviously something we're really excited about. I feel like the things that are that are really exciting here is some of the attention to detail that is a little harder to give you as a headline. But for example, there's a requirement that any nursing uh, parent player ha be entitled to clean, safe, and private breastfeeding and pumping facilities. Um, that should that should seem obvious, um, and you know I'm sure there were clubs that were providing it, but we've now made that a norm. Like we've said, this is the, what we expect of every single club consistently across the board. I can tell you, as someone who you know I have three children, I I breastfed all of them. I'm a lawyer. I kind of joked slash not joked with players like this is really important because I, I, you know, was in, in the middle of a murder trial and pumping on the floor of a public restroom at the breaks when, you know, the victim's family walks in on me and how uncomfortable is that when the defense lawyer is sitting right there on the public, you know, 
that might seem like a little thing, but it's a big thing. You know, it's a very, it, it, it's an expression of our priorities. And, you know, there's a lot of humanity in this contract. And I think that's a credit um, to everyone who came to the bargaining table to acknowledge, like, there are some things we need to address here to make a lived experience in NWSL just more comfortable for, for the people who make it. Um, you know, the recognition clause includes, just like every other sport in pro sports, it, it includes both current and future players, which is something that took a lot of ironing out. Um, there is a, I, I'd say maybe if there is one headline I keep forgetting to mention, um, that I think is a big win is broadcast revenue share, um, profit sharing, I should say, you know, we needed to be one of the things players uh, felt very strongly about is the opportunity to bet on ourselves. We are bullish about the future of NWSL and we want to see players share in future growth and opportunity. Um, if the league is profitable in years three, four, or five and secures a broadcast deal um, that's profitable, players will get 10% of that directed to their compensation. Um, that's a massive win. I'm unaware of another first contract that has a revenue share agreement like that. In the Players Association press release, you included the line, to the players that came before us, we stand on your shoulders, we hope we made you proud. Um, why was that so important for you to include and to say, um, obviously speaking as a, a former player yourself? It was really important. Um, you know, NWSL is the third iteration of women's pro soccer uh, in this country. It started with the WSA and the WPS, and each time a league went on under, so much was lost. You know, careers were ended, um, institutional memory was lost, progress was stalled, and that's kind of been you know, what we've seen happen over the course of uh, our sport with, you know, you look at the FA Women's Super League, the FA banned women from playing football after the Dick Kerr ladies packed the stadium with 50 some odd thousand people. And so, you know, we really, when we say we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, certainly it's a metaphor, but it's, I mean, it's true. It, it, that, that is a fact that we would not be here without, um, you know, decades. And maybe if you go back that far, a hundred years worth of um, work and sacrifice and, you know, players, uh, who never got to experience what the future generations will, um, and wouldn't without them. And so we felt it was important to do that. We hope that the PA becomes that connective tissue that bridges the generations and brings, you know, players from fire leagues back. We have a former player membership category. We did that very consciously, um, because there's just, we really believe in the power of solidarity, not just among the current players, but also with all those who came before us. I want to close by giving you your uh, Academy Award moment uh, because I know that there are so many people that that went into making this CBA a reality. Um, so I want to—I just kind of want to give you a chance to acknowledge some people. You know, you're you're standing on stage, you're holding your little gold statue. Um, so who, who who do you who do you want to thank? Who do you want to acknowledge? Who who should we know about that that made this happen? And I, I promise we won't. Uh, play you off with any music well that's very kind of you because uh, the <laughs> list is long and you know <laughs> i i really mean it like you know we it's not hyperbole we're we're a fairly small new labor union and so there is no question that we would not have this contract uh or be where we are without solidarity and support from other players associations um, you know, Becca Rue at the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association has been a tremendous mentor and friend. Um, you know, you look at NFLPA, MLSPA, Bob Foose there, D. Smith at NFLPA. Um, 
you know, Tony Clark at the MLBPA is currently dealing with a lockout there and, you know, still managed to be in touch with me and send us well wishes, you know, uh, our friends at One Team Partners, Terry Jackson at WNBA Players Association, who's serving on our oversight committee of the investigation. Um, I mean, man, all the <laughs> AFL-CIO folks who, when I sent out an SOS on the heels of Meg Linehan's article, immediately sent us resources and support. Um, you know, President Liz Schuler reached out to us right away to say congratulations. AFSME, uh, LIUNA, the American Federation of Teachers, you know, all made very significant contributions, financial contributions to us that gave us the fortitude to, to continue this. Our lawyers, Deb, Larry, and Jess of Willie, Williams and Davidson, two-way player. Um, our players love them. I was asked this week, is it normal to love hanging out with your lawyers so much? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, you know, they're ride or die. They're, they're tight with our players in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and, you know, frankly, all the all the players who came out with stories this year, um, I, I, I'd be remiss to even mention them because, or try to name them because there are players you know about and then there are players you don't who um, were unafraid to speak truth to power. Um, I just am deeply honored and proud to get to to be among the we that were part of negotiating this first contract. So I, I know I left people out, but thanks for giving me a minute to shout out a few folks. Absolutely. Uh, Megan Burke, thanks so much for, for taking some time to, to talk with us today. Uh, congrats on the CBA again and enjoy a little bit of time off before you dive right back into it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That was Megan Burke, the executive director of the NWSL Players Association, talking about the league's new CBA. A lot to get into with that chat, a lot of different components. I'm glad that we kind of went beyond just sort of those headline items like free agency and increased minimum salary because there's a lot in this CBA that's that's worth talking about. Yeah, the mental health thing I think is massive. Like it's it must be one of the first of its kind, that kind of thing. And it's not just like, oh yeah, you can get two weeks off and it's unpaid, but you'll keep your contract. Like there's really big sort of clause in the in the CBA around the mental health, which is really good to see. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth diving into that more because up to six months of paid mental health leave, um, you know, as Megan said, I think that's unprecedented in in any CBA that's been signed in any sports league up until now. And, you know, you, you can see the, the, this is something that was really prioritized by these players based on everything that, that we've talked about over the last several months with the, the scandals. And so uh, to get that in there is a really big win. I think it was good that Megan mentioned the fields as well. You know, that was an interesting component the games that took place on these kind of converted baseball fields. It just looks weird aesthetically. I know the players don't like it. And, and so to have that actually in writing that players won't have to do that anymore, I think is is huge. Yeah, and it's just nice to see players get a little bit more sort of control over their careers around, you know, where they are in the league. And, you know, we saw a lot of this stuff with the scandals last year about how with some of this stuff that's being brought in now, how, you know, it just makes things so much better for the players um, that might be in a situation that they're not particularly happy with, not particularly comfortable with. So, um, you know, a a players in a vulnerable position. So it's really good to see players sort of getting more, I guess, control over their own careers and protection, things like the maternity stuff, being looked after a bit more. It's really nice to see. Yeah, and, and you know, in MLS, as, as Megan mentioned, it took... 20 years to get free agency so for the NWSL to get that in year 10 
in CBA one. Um, that's, that's significant for sure. So we will leave it there. Thank you as always for tuning in. And as a reminder, please leave us a rating and subscribe, follow wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back next week. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.